0: Good morning again, church. If you slipped in after I did the welcome, my name's Kelly, and I serve as senior pastor here at Glowing Bible Church. Special welcome to our guests. Have you heard the one about the twin babies in the womb of their mother having a debate? The debate is whether or not there's life after birth. Do you believe in life after birth? The first twin asks the second. The second twin answers, yes, definitely. This isn't all there is to our existence, the second twin says. This can't possibly be all there is. There's a whole world out there beyond our little experience in here. Why? Don't you? No. Gosh, no. All that talk about life after birth is utter nonsense, says the first twin. There can't be life after birth. What would that even look like? How would we eat? What would we do? The second twin said, well, I don't know exactly, but it'll certainly be much lighter out there than it is in here. And I'm betting we'll actually be able to run around on our legs and eat with our mouths. Eat with our mouths? Why would we want to do that? Said the first twin. That's what we have umbilical cords for, to feed us. And you want to run around, how would that work? That would never work. Our umbilical cords are far too short to run around. The, first twin, uh, the second twin answered, well, our bodies, they'll be different. They'll be changed. Life outside the womb will be different, so our bodies will have to be different too. But it'll be great and better in so many ways. All that we've longed to do in here, we're going to get to do out there. You're crazy, the first twin said. Where'd you get those ideas? Nobody's ever come back after birth. Physical life ends with birth and that's it, period, insisted the first twin. I admit that I don't know the details about what life will look like after birth, said the second, but I know that we'll get to see our mother and that she's going to take care of us. What? A mother? You believe a mother exists? What makes you think there's a mother, asked the first twin. What possible evidence could you have to think there's a mom? Well, she's all around us. We are alive in her. We're alive through her. Without her, we would not exist. That's crazy, said the first. I've never noticed anything of a mother in here. Therefore, a mom can't exist. The second twin answered, Sometimes, when you're very quiet, you can hear her sing or feel her loving caresses touching our world. It takes faith, sure, but it's she's just as real as we are. Isn't that a great little debate? I didn't write that, but it strikes at a chord that I think we all wrestle with. We try to imagine heaven, what our bodies will be like in heaven, how we'll function after death, and it can be hard. One of the twins could more easily imagine how they would eat, and how they would use their legs to run around. The other twin, for him, it sounded all like science fiction. Interestingly, the Apostle Paul faced these very same type of objections. Look at what he wrote to the Christians in the city of Corinth about life after death. It's 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to jump around in this chapter. It's all about the resurrection. I would encourage you to read it later today in its entirety but Paul says someone may ask quote, how will the dead be raised what kind of bodies will they have what a foolish question when you put a seed in the ground it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first and what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting what Paul is saying here is that death is like sowing a seed in the ground. Our bodies will be placed in the ground when we die. In the same way, the plant produced from the seed is more glorious than the seed. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> in a month, I'll plant corn in my back. Yeah. The, the surprised look on my face is that anything grew. I'll plant corn in my little garden in my backyard. And we all know what corn seed looks like. We love to eat them when they're popped. But what is sown in my garden in a month will look nothing like the plant that it will produce. And the same is true for our bodies raised. Those who are trusting in Christ will look nothing like, right, what we look like here on earth, or I should say, will be changed in all the significant ways. The corn on the screen, uh, grown into a full-grown plant, is glorious, and it's powerful. Some of that corn that year was eight feet tall from that little seed, and it's powerful, and it produces nourishing food, and the same is true with raised bodies. The bodies provided for us in the resurrection will be more glorious and more powerful than these earthly bodies in which we labor, honestly. We get a glimpse of what our raised bodies will be like when we recall Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. Perhaps you remember he still had scars, scars in his hands, scars in his feet, scar on his side from the sword that pierced him. Thomas, the doubter, famously insisted on seeing the scars before he believed Jesus had been raised. But at the same time, while bearing the scars of his crucifixion, Jesus' body was much more glorious after it was raised. And his body wasn't limited by time and space the way our bodies are limited by time and space. If you remember the resurrection accounts, on some of the accounts, he passed through locked doors through walls to meet with his followers. Of course, he ate and he drank and he spoke with them, but at times he would appear and then disappear, virtually unaffected by the limits that we experience in our bodies. Look at Paul's description of some of the differences between our current body and our raised bodies. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, he writes, the body that is sown is perishable. And we know that from our experience. At least I know it at age 54. (laughs) The writing's on the wall. I'm not getting stronger. I'm getting weaker. The body that's sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. There are things wrong with my body. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. And then he says it's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. And throughout the chapter, he draws a distinction between bodies that are prepared solely for earth, earthen bodies, and then these spiritual bodies that are prepared for an eternity with our creator. Our bodies will be imperishable, which is to say, immortal. They'll be glorious, they'll be powerful, while our current bodies are weak and frail and susceptible to death, disease, decay. Obviously, there'd be no need for our our bodies to be raised, except for the fact that death is a reality in this world. Ironically, much within popular culture encourages us to ignore the certainty of death billions of dollars of advertising of various products and services all aimed at hiding the aging process or if able delaying the aging process but there's no getting away from it in fact let me pause and point out that if a message on the certainty of death and the need for the resurrection doesn't seem urgent to you then you're probably fairly young the older I get the more urgent it seems to me or if you're aging as I am and it doesn't seem urgent to you then you may not be facing death with honesty the death rate among humanity is a hundred percent we are all terminal and I'm not saying that death is something that we should fixate on I'm actually saying the opposite We need to fixate on the hope provided for us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who overcame death and promises victory over death for all those who are trusting in him. Same passage, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes Jesus as the first fruits of the resurrection. That is to say, there's a whole harvest of bodies, raised bodies, that will follow. He's the first to be raised, and all those trusting in him will be raised as he's raised. We need to fixate on the hope that's in the resurrection, even as we daily face disease and decay and death. I saw the need to focus on the resurrection clearly a few years ago at a funeral I attended at another church. I wasn't officiating at, at this funeral, but knew the family and wanted to go and support them. I've shared this story before, but I... It bears retelling because it starkly contrasted the hope that we have in Christ in his resurrection with the hope that we don't have apart from Christ. It was the funeral of a teenager who had died accidentally, and I arrived at the service early and went down front to pay my respects to the family that was grieving very heavily, which is at the funeral of a teenager as the church started to fill up I noticed that the pastor hadn't arrived yet I went ahead and found my seat after speaking with the family and was waiting for the service to begin we hadn't uh, seen the pastor and that made me a little nervous because the family was grieving so heavily the room filled to capacity A couple minutes before the service was scheduled to begin, the father of the deceased teenager stepped to the microphone. He was visibly shaking, which is to be expected, deeply grieving, and he began to address the congregation. Mind you, the pastor's still not in the room. Through tears, he began to explain how much he loved his son. There wasn't a dry eye in the room. Then he went on to explain that he had brought with him a little bottle of oil, and he was going to anoint the body of his deceased son, and he invited everybody in the room to pray that God would raise him from the dead. It was at this point I slipped out of the room and went to look for the pastor. I found the pastor. He made his way uh, down to the side of the grieving father, who was standing in front of the casket, which was open, and the father had just... anointed his son's body with oil the pastor slipped his arm around and waited with the father when the son's body did not come to life the pastor helped the father find his seat and he started the service i share this story not to say that the father is foolish i can only imagine his pain and frankly i wouldn't put it past myself to do something similar after all There are at least seven individual, eight individual resurrections throughout scripture. I share this story because the good news, the good news of the gospel is that this grieving father who desperately asked God to raise his son from the dead has already been promised this will happen. The boy was a believer, the family full of faith. Here's Paul's description of our hope in Christ. When our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, that's the hope. This scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But praise be to God. Thanks be to God. He gives us victory over sin and victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin is the sting that results in death, Paul says. When I was four or five years old, I don't remember it, but my, fa- my mother tells me often that I was stung in the eye by a hornet. She had to race me off to the ER because it swole shut and she wasn't sure what was going to become of my eye. Death, saying that, that the sin is the sting that results in death is saying that death is the result of our sin. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus died a sacrificial death for us and then Jesus was raised victorious conquering the sting of death, taking the sting out of death, which is not to say we don't grieve when we lose loved ones, but we do not grieve as those without hope. Amen? We have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if this message is making sense to you, perhaps for the first time, maybe it's making sense to you in a deeper way, Paul tells us how we're to respond as the message of the resurrection makes sense to us. He writes, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the sting of death. Saved from sin, which brings death. But that's not all saved to something. Did you know that we're saved from sin? Praise God. But we're saved to something we saved to purposefulness, a life of glory, a life of mission, a life of living for our creator rather than living vain lives for ourselves. Paul says, if we declare with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? When you say Jesus is Lord, what he's saying is you're saying that all authority in heaven and on earth are Jesus's. Why Jesus? Why does he have authority? Well, he's the one that overcame sin and death. He's demonstrated that he has all authority. So if you sense within your heart welling up a desire to believe that God raised him from the dead, if you believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, then let your mouth profess what your heart is believing, saying Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. Saved from death. Saved to purposefulness in life and safe to a grander greater hope than any that can be provided in this world for all of us trusting in Jesus' resurrection it provides real hope not simply after death but for life here and now today we can find hope in christ no matter what we're facing Some of us, no doubt, are facing difficult challenges. Broken bodies, broken relationships, chronic illness. How easy it would be to grow hopeless in this world apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But because Christ has died and was raised, we have hope. Look at how Paul closes 1 Corinthians 15 he says so my dear brothers and sisters be strong be immovable is that who we are as followers of Jesus are we strong and immovable you can be strong and immovable not because of what you've accomplished I love the testimonies Mark's testimony about how he's trusting in Christ rather than in his own works. We can be strong and immovable in the face of overwhelming odds in this world because of who Christ is. Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Is enthusiasm your lifestyle? It can be because of what Christ has done. And it doesn't mean you plaster a fake smile on your face and pretend that everything is hunky-dory in this world. That's not how Scripture reads. Scripture is one of the most sober, realistic books you'll ever read. There's, there's no call to faking it as a follower of Christ. Jesus himself said, In this world you're, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We can be enthusiastic in the face of terrible situations because of what God has done for us in Christ. Finally, he says, For you know, you know this, that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. If You came here this morning checking out the claims of Christ. Maybe you feel purposeless. Maybe you're looking for a mission, a reason to live. The reason to live is because Christ lives and has overcome all the obstacles that we face in this world. The reason to live, we can actually live enthusiastically. We cannot just survive, but we can thrive because of who Christ is, knowing that nothing we do in this world is useless. Folks, not a tear you shed is in vain. Not, not any pain you feel, or chronic illness you endure, or disease that you persevere through, is useless. God's going to redeem it all. He's going to redeem it all. Nothing we endure is useless. One of my favorite sermons of all time, it's the title of it. It was preached by Francis Schaeffer. The title of it is, No Small People in Suburbia. We have a temptation to rank ourselves according to others, how they're doing, how we're doing comparatively. The sermon is fairly easy, fairly straightforward to figure out because of what Christ has accomplished, no one is small. We all have value and we're valued infinitely because Christ has died for us. There's no small contributions There's no small service. There's no small endurance. There's no small testimonies. God highly values each one of us. And Christ has died so that we can live strong, immovable, enthusiastically, and with a supreme confidence. Nothing we do in this world will be useless as we live for him. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask for your goodness to us as a people. Would you drive the truths of Scripture and the power of your resurrection deeper into our minds and into our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and close in song.